Chapter Twenty Three of France and England in North America, Part Three, La Salle, Discovery of the Great West. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Andrew Kennedy, La Salle, Discovery of the Great West by Francis Parkman Jr. Chapter Twenty Three. 1684 a new enterprise when la salle reached paris he went to his old lodgings in rue de la truanderie and it is likely enough thought for an instant of the adventures and vicissitudes he had passed since he occupied them before another ordeal awaited him he must confront not painted savages with tomahawk and knife but what he shrank from more the courtly throngs that still live and move in the pages of Sévigny and saint simon the news of his discovery and the rumor of his schemes were the talk of a moment among the courtiers and then were forgotten it was not so with their master la salle's friends and patrons did not fail him a student and a recluse in his youth and a backwoodsman in his manhood he had what was to him the formidable honor of an interview with royalty itself and stood with such philosophy as he could command before the gilded armchair where majestic and awful the power of france sat embodied the king listened to all he said but the results of the interview were kept so secret that it was rumored in the antechambers that his proposals had been rejected on the contrary they had met with more than favor the moment was opportune for la salle the king had long been irritated against the spaniards because they not only excluded his subjects from the american ports but forbade them to enter the gulf of mexico certain frenchmen who had sailed on this forbidden sea had been seized and imprisoned and more recently a small vessel of the royal navy had been captured for the same offence this had drawn from the king a declaration that every sea should be free to all his subjects and count d'estres was sent with a squadron to the gulf to exact satisfaction of the spaniards or fight them if they refused it this was in time of peace war had since arisen between the two crowns and brought with it the opportunity of settling the question forever in order to do so the minister Sinilay, like his father colbert proposed to establish a french port on the gulf as a permanent menace to the spaniards and a basis of future conquest it was in view of this plan that la salle's past enterprises had been favored and the proposals he now made were in perfect accord with it these proposals were set forth in two memorials the first of them states that the late monsignor colbert deemed it important for the service of his majesty to discover a port in the gulf of mexico that to this end the memorialist la salle made five journeys of upwards of five thousand leagues in great part on foot and traversed more than six hundred leagues of unknown country among savages and cannibals at the cost of a hundred and fifty thousand francs he now proposes to return by way of the gulf of mexico and the mouth of the mississippi to the countries he had discovered whence great benefits may be expected first the cause of god may be advanced by the preaching of the gospel to many indian tribes and secondly great conquest may be effected for the glory of the king by the seizure of provinces rich in silver mines and defended only by a few indolent and effeminate spaniards the sieur de la salle pursues the memorial 
finds himself to be ready for the accomplishment of this enterprise within one year after his arrival on the spot and he asked for this purpose only one vessel and two hundred men with their arms munitions pay and maintenance when monseigneur shall direct him he will give the details of what he proposes the memorial then describes the boundless extent the fertility and resources of the country watered by the river colbert or mississippi the necessity of guarding it against foreigners who will be eager to seize it now that la salle's discovery has made it known and the ease with which it may be defended by one or two forts at a proper distance above its mouth which would form the key to an interior region eight hundred leagues in extent should foreigners anticipate us he adds they will complete the ruin of new france which they already hem in by their establishments of virginia pennsylvania new england and hudson's bay the second memorial is more explicit the place it says which the sierra de la salle proposes to fortify is on the river colbert or mississippi sixty leagues above its mouth where the soil is very fertile the climate very mild and whence we the french may control the continent since the river being narrow we could defend ourselves by means of fire-ships against a hostile fleet while the position is excellent both for attacking an enemy or retreating in case of need the neighboring indians detest the spaniards but love the french having been won over by the kindness of the sieur de la salle we could form of them an army of more than fifteen thousand savages who supported by the french and abenakis followers of the sieur de la salle could easily subdue the province of new biscay the most northern province of mexico where there are but four hundred spaniards more fit to work the mines than to fight on the north of new biscay lie vast forests extended to the river sinile red river which is but forty or fifty leagues from the spanish province this river affords the means of attacking it to great advantage in view of these facts pursues the memorial the sierra de la salle offers if the war with spain continues to undertake this conquest with two hundred men from france he will take on his way fifty buccaneers at st domingo and direct the four thousand indian warriors at fort st louis of the illinois to descend the river and join him he will separate his force into three divisions and attack at the same time the centre and the two extremities of the province to accomplish this great design he asks only for a vessel of thirty guns a few cannon for the forts and power to raise in france two hundred such men as he shall think fit to be armed paid and maintained six months at the king's charge and the sieur de la salle binds himself if the execution of this plan is prevented for more than three years by peace with spain to refund to his majesty all the costs of the enterprise on pain of forfeiting the government of the ports he will have established such in brief was the substance of this singular proposition and first it is to be observed that it is based on a geographical blunder the nature of which is explained by the map of la salle's discoveries made in this very year here the river signale or red river is represented as running parallel to the northern border of mexico and at no great distance from it the region now called texas being almost entirely suppressed according to the map new biscay might be reached from this river in a few days and after crossing the intervening forests the coveted mines of saint barbara or santa barbara would be within striking distance 
that La Salle believed in the possibility of invading the Spanish province of New Biscay from Red River, there can be no doubt. Neither can it reasonably be doubted that he hoped at some future day to make the attempt. And yet it is incredible that a man in his sober senses could be proposed this scheme with the intention of attempting to execute it at the time and in the manner which he indicates. This memorial bears some indications of being drawn up in order to produce a certain effect on the minds of the king and his minister. La Salle's immediate necessity was to obtain from them the means for establishing a fort and a colony within the mouth of the Mississippi. This was essential to his own plans, nor did he in the least exaggerate the value of such an establishment to the French nation and the importance of anticipating other powers in the possession of it. But he thought that he needed a more glittering lure to attract the eyes of Louis and Sinilier, and thus it may be he held before them in a definite and tangible form the project of Spanish conquest which had haunted his imagination from youth, trusting that the speedy conclusion of peace which actually took place would absolve him from the immediate execution of this scheme and give him time with the means placed at his disposal to mature his plans and prepare for eventual action such a procedure may be charged with indirectness but there is a different explanation which we shall suggest hereafter and which implies no such reproach even with this madcap enterprise lopped off la salle's scheme of mississippi trade and colonization perfectly sound in itself was too vast for an individual above all for one crippled and crushed with debt while he grasped one link of the great chain another no less essential escaped from his hand while he built up a colony on the mississippi it was reasonably certain that evil would befall his distant colony of the illinois the glittering project which he now unfolded found favor in the eyes of the king and his minister for both were in the flush of an unparalleled success and looked in the future as in the past for nothing but triumphs they granted more than the petitioner asked as indeed they might well if they expected the accomplishment of all that he proposed to attempt la forest la salle's lieutenant ejected from fort frontenac by la barre was now at paris and he was dispatched to canada empowered to reoccupy in la salle's name both fort frontenac and fort st louis of the illinois the king himself wrote to la barre in a strain that must have sent a cold thrill through the veins of that official i hear he says that you have taken possession of fort frontenac the property of the sieur de la salle driven away his men suffered his land to run to waste and even told the iroquois that they might seize him as an enemy of the colony he adds that if this is true la barre must make reparation for the wrong and place all la salle's property as well as his men in the hands of the sieur de la forest as i am satisfied that fort frontenac was not abandoned as you wrote to me that it had been four days later he wrote to the intendant of canada the mules to the effect that the bearer la forest is to suffer no impediment and that la barre is to surrender to him without reserve all that belongs to la salle armed with this letter la forest sailed for canada a chief object of his mission as it was represented to Sinile, was not only to save the colony of the illinois from being broken up by la barre but also to collect la salle's scattered followers muster the savage warriors around the rock of st louis and lead the whole down the mississippi to cooperate in the attack on new biscay if la salle meant that la forest should seriously attempt to execute such a scheme 
than the charges of his enemies that his brain was turned were better founded than he would have us think. He had asked for two vessels, and four were given to him. Agents were sent to Rochelle and Rochefort to gather recruits. A hundred soldiers were enrolled, besides mechanics and laborers, and thirty volunteers, including gentlemen and burghers of condition, joined the expedition. And as the plan was one no less of colonization than of war, several families embarked for the new land of promise, as well as a number of girls, lured by the prospect of almost certain matrimony. Nor were missionaries wanting. Among them was La Salle's brother Cavalier and two other priests of Saint-Sulpice. Three recollets were added, Zenobi Mambre, who was then in France, Anatasi Doué, and Maxime Leclerc. The principal vessel was the Yoli, belonging to the Royal Navy and carrying 36 guns. Another armed vessel of six guns was added, together with a storeship and a catch. La Salle had asked for sole command of the expedition, with a subaltern officer and one or two pilots to sail the vessel as he should direct. Instead of complying, Sinilay gave the command of the vessel to Bougeau, a captain of the Royal Navy, whose authority was restricted to their management at sea while La Salle was to prescribe the route they were to take and have entire control of the troops and colonists on land. This arrangement displeased both parties. Bougeot, an old and experienced officer, was galled that a civilian should be set over him, and he, too, a burger lately ennobled, nor was La Salle the man to soothe his ruffled spirit. Detesting a divided command, cold, reserved, and impenetrable, he would have tried the patience of a less excitable colleague. Bougeot, on his part, though set to a task which he disliked, seemed to have meant to do his duty, and to have been willing at the outset to make the relations between himself and his unwelcome associate as agreeable as possible. Unluckily, La Salle discovered that the wife of Bougeot was devoted to the Jesuits. We have seen the extreme distrust with which he regarded these guides of his youth, and he seems now to have fancied that Bougeot was their secret ally. Possibly he suspected that information of his movements would be given to the Spaniards. More probably he had undefined fears of adverse machinations. Granting that such existed, it was not his interest to stimulate them by needlessly exasperating the naval commander. His deportment, however, was not conciliating and Bougeot, prepared to dislike him, presently lost temper. While the vessel still lay at Rochelle, while all was bustle and preparation, while stores, arms, and munitions were embarking, while boys and vagabonds were enlisting as soldiers for the expedition, Bougeot was venting his disgust in long letters to the minister. You have ordered me, Monseigneur, to give all possible aid to this undertaking, and I shall do so to the best of my power but permit me to take great credit to myself, and I find it very hard to submit to the orders of the Sieur de La Salle, whom I believe to be a man of merit, but who has no experience of war except with savages, and who has no rank. While I have been captain of a ship thirteen years, and have served thirty by sea and land. Besides, Monseigneur, he has told me that in case of his death, you have directed that the Sieur de Tonti shall succeed him. This indeed is very hard, for though I am not acquainted with that country, I should be very dull if, being on the spot, I did not know at the end of a month as much of it as they do. I beg, Monseigneur, that I may at least share the command with them, and 
that as regards war nothing may be done without my knowledge and concurrence for as to their commerce i neither intend nor desire to know anything about it Signolet answered by a rebuff and told him to make no trouble about the command this increased his irritation and he wrote in my last letter monseigneur i represented to you the hardship of compelling me to obey m de la salle who has no rank and never commanded anybody but schoolboys and i begged you at least to divide the command between us i now monseigneur take the liberty to say that i will obey without repugnance if you order me to do so having reflected that there can be no competition between the said sieur de la salle and me thus far he has not told me his plan and he changes his mind every moment he is a man so suspicious and so afraid that one will penetrate his secrets that i dare not ask him anything he said that m de parisse commissioner's clerk with whom he has often quarrelled is paid by his enemies to defeat his undertaking and many other things with which i will not trouble you he pretends that i am only to command the sailors and have no authority over the volunteer officers and the hundred soldiers who are to take passage in the yali and that they are not to recognize or obey me in any way during the voyage he has covered the decks with boxes and chests of such prodigious size that neither the cannon nor the capstan can be worked la salle drew up a long list of articles defining the respective rights and functions of himself and bougeot to whom he presented it for signature bougeot demurred at certain military honors demanded by la salle saying that if a marshal of france should come on board his ship he would have none left to offer him the point was referred to the naval intendant and the articles of the treaty having been slightly modified bougeot set his name to it by this he says you can judge better of the character of m de la salle than all i can say he is a man who wants smoke form and ceremony i will give him his fill of it and perhaps more than he likes i am bound to an unknown country to seek what is about as hard to find as the philosopher's stone it vexes me monseigneur that you should have been involved in a business the success of which is very uncertain and de la salle begins to doubt it himself while bougeot wrote this to the minister he was also writing to cabat de villemont one of his friends at paris with whom la salle was also on friendly terms these letters are lively and entertaining and by no means suggestive of any secret conspiracy he might it is true have been more reserved in his communications but he betrays no confidence for none was placed in him it is the familiar correspondence of an irritable but not ill-natured veteran who is placed in an annoying position and thinks he is making the best of it la salle thought that the minister had been too free in communicating the secrets of the expedition to the naval intendant at rochefort and through him to bougeot it is hard to see how bougeot was to blame for this but la salle nevertheless fell into a dispute with him he could hardly keep his temper and used expressions which obliged me to tell him that i cared very little about his affairs and that the king himself would not speak as he did he retracted made excuses and we parted good friends i do not like his suspiciousness i think him a good honest norman but normans are out of fashion it is one thing to-day another to-morrow 
it seems to me that he is not so sure about his undertaking as he was at paris this morning he came to see me and told me he had changed his mind and meant to give a new turn to the business and go to another coast he gave very poor reasons to which i assented to avoid a quarrel i thought by what he said that he wanted to find a scapegoat to bear the blame in case his plan does not succeed as he hopes for the rest i think of a brave man and a true and i am persuaded that if this business fails it will be because he does not know enough and will not trust us of the profession as for me i shall do my best to help him as i have told you before and i am delighted to have him keep his secret so that i shall not have to answer for the result pray do not show my letters for fear of committing me with him he is too suspicious already and never was norman so norman as he which is a great hindrance to business bougeot came from the same province and calls himself jocularly un bon gros normand his good nature however rapidly gave way as time went on yesterday he writes this monsignor told me that he meant to go to the gulf of mexico a little while ago as i said before he talked about going to canada i see nothing certain in it it is not that i do not believe that all he says is true but not being of the profession and not liking to betray his ignorance he is puzzled what to do i shall go straight forward without regarding a thousand whims and bagatelles his continual suspicion would drive anybody mad except a norman like me but i shall humour him as i always have done even to sailing my ship on dry land if he likes a few days later there was an open quarrel m de la salle came to me and said rather haughtily and in a tone of command that i must put provisions for three months more on board my vessel i told him it was impossible as she had more ladings already than anybody ever dared to put on her before he would not hear reason he got angry and abused me in good french and found fault with me because the vessel would not hold his three months provisions he said i ought to have told him of it before and how would you have me tell you said i when you never tell me what you mean to do we had still another quarrel he asked me where his officers should take their meals i told him that they might take them where he pleased for i gave myself no trouble in the matter having no orders he answered that they should not mess on bacon while the rest ate fowls and mutton i said that if he would send fowls and mutton on board his people should eat them but as for bacon i had often ate it myself at this he went off and complained to m duguay that i refused to embark his provisions and told him that he must live on bacon i excused him as not knowing how to behave himself having spent his life among schoolboy brats and savages nevertheless i offered to him his brother and two of his friends seats at my table and the same fare as myself he answered my civility by an impertinence saying that he distrusted people who offered so much and seemed so obliging i could not help telling him that i saw he was brought up in the provinces this was touching la salle on a sensitive point bougeot continues in fact you knew him better than i for i always took him for a gentleman honnete homme i see now that he is anything but that 
pray set abbe renaudot and m morel right about this man and tell them he is not what they take him for adieu it has struck twelve the postman is just coming bad as was the state of things it soon grew worse renaudot wrote to la salle that bougeot was writing to villermont everything that happened and that villermont showed the letters to all his acquaintance villermont was a relative of the jesuit Bechefer, and this was sufficient to suggest some secret machination to the mind of la salle villemont's fault however seems to have been simple indiscretion for which bougeot took him sharply to task i asked you to burn my letters and i cannot help saying that i am angry with you not because you make known my secrets but because you show letters scrawled in haste and sent off without being even read over m de la salle not having told me his secret though m de la signole ordered him to tell me i am not obliged to keep it and have as good a right as anybody to make my conjectures on what i read about in the gazette de holland let abbe renaudot glorify m de la salle as much as he likes and make him a cortez a pizarro or an amalgaro that is nothing to me but do not let him speak of me as an obstacle in his hero's way let him know that i understand how to execute the orders of the court as well as he you ask how i got on with m de la salle don't you know that this man is impenetrable and that there is no knowing what he thinks of one he told a person of note whom i will not name that he had suspicions about our correspondence as well as about madame de bougeot's devotion to the jesuit his distrust is incredible if he sees one of his people speak to the rest he suspects something and is gruff with them he told me himself that he wanted to get rid of m de tonti who is in america la salle's claim of exclusive command of the soldiers on board the yoli was a source of endless trouble bougeot declared that he would not set sail till officers soldiers and volunteers had all sworn to obey him when at sea at which la salle had the indiscretion to say if i am not master of my soldiers how can i make him bougeot do his duty in case he does not want to do it bougeot says that this affair made a great noise among the officers at rochefort and adds there are very few people who do not think his brain is touched i have spoken to some who have known him twenty years they all say that he was always rather visionary it is difficult not to suspect that the current belief at rochefort had some foundation and that the deadly strain of extreme hardship prolonged anxiety and alternation of disaster and success joined to the fever which nearly killed him had unsettled his judgment and given a morbid development to his natural defects his universal suspicion which included even the snatch and fateful henri de tonti his needless provocation of persons whose good will was necessary to him his doubts whether he should sail for the gulf or for canada went to sail to canada would have been to renounce or expose to almost certain defeat an enterprise long cherished and definitely planned all point to one conclusion it may be thought that his doubts were feigned in order to hide his destination to the last moment but if so he attempted to blind not only his ill-wishers but his mother whom he also left in uncertainty as to his route unless we assume that his scheme to invade mexico was thrown out as a bait to the king it is hard to reconcile it with the supposition of mental soundness to base so critical an attempt on a geographical conjecture which rested on the slightest possible information and was in fact a total error 
to postpone the perfectly sound plan of securing the mouth of the Mississippi to a wild project of leading 15,000 savages for an unknown distance through an unknown country to attack an unknown enemy was something more than quixotic daring. The king and the minister saw nothing impracticable in it, for they did not know the country or its inhabitants. They saw no insuperable difficulty in mustering and keeping together 15,000 of the most wayward and unstable savages on earth, split into a score and more of tribes, some hostile to each other and some to the French, nor in the problem of feeding such a mob, on a march of hundreds of miles, nor in the plan of drawing 4,000 of them from the Illinois nearly 2,000 miles distance though some of these intended allies had no canoes or other means of transportation, and though, traveling in such numbers, they would infallibly starve on the way to the rendezvous. It is difficult not to see in all this the chimera of an overwrought brain, no longer able to distinguish between the possible and the impossible. Preparation dragged slowly on. The season was growing late. The king grew impatient and found fault with the naval intendant. Meanwhile, the various members of the expedition had all gathered at Rochelle. Jotel, a fellow townsman of La Salle, returning to his native Rouen, after sixteen years in the army, found all astir with the new project. His father had been gardener to Henri Cavalier, La Salle's uncle, and being of an adventurous spirit, he volunteered for the enterprise, of which he was to become the historian. With La Salle's brother, the priest, and two of his nephews, one of whom was a boy of fourteen, Jotel set out for Rochelle, where all were to embark together for their promised land. La Salle wrote a parting letter to his mother at Rouen. Rochelle, 18th July, 1684. Madame, my most honored mother, at last, having waited a long time for a favorable wind, and having had a great many difficulties to overcome, we are setting sail with four vessels and nearly four hundred men on board. Everybody is well, including little Colin and my nephew. We all have good hope of a happy success. We are not going by way of Canada, but by the Gulf of Mexico. I passionately wish, and so do we all, that the success of this voyage may contribute to your repose and comfort. Assuredly, I shall spare no effort that it may, and I beg you, on your part, to preserve yourself for the love of us. You need not be troubled by the news from Canada, which are nothing but the continuation of the artifices of my enemies. I hope to be as successful against them as I have been thus far, and to embrace you a year hence with all the pleasure that the most grateful of children can feel with so good a mother as you have always been. Pray let this hope, which shall not disappoint you, support you through whatever trials may happen and be sure that you will always find me with a heart full of the feelings which are due to you. Madame, my most honored mother, from your most humble and most obedient servant and son, de la Salle, my brother, my nephews, and all the others greet you and take their leave of you. This memorable last farewell has lain for two hundred years among the family papers of the Cavaliers. End of chapter 23